We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Into the Rotowire NFL podcast for Thursday, December 3rd. I am your host, John McCagney, joined as always by Mario Puig. It is week 13, and Mario, it feels like week 12 was just yesterday. Am I right? Uh, it, yeah, it it's, it's cool. Like, <laughs> it was literally. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was a cool, uh, cool, disorienting little twist on a, a week that. Would have been, of course, like unremarkable any other year, but like turning it into a ten day, like and endless one one long slow dagger twist, uh, but like also slipping you acid kind of at the same time in the dagger, and uh, yeah, that that's that's kind of what that felt like. It just kind of felt like a a, a weird, not so great dream after a while. Yeah, it was it was bizarre. Um, did you have any like parting? like takeaways from from that Wednesday afternoon game before we we jump into uh this week's slate not really it's I guess it was kind of a lot of stuff that was within the range of possibility and I 
I, I'm in a way like surprised that the Ravens. I, mean, I am just surprised that the Ravens made it that close. Like I, I thought, I thought the, ty- uh, the the Ravens defense would get tired eventually, and Roethlisberger would get like three or four just kind of cheap touchdowns, like lowly, just trash quality touchdowns but something that he can you know stick in his cap either way like did you see Roethlisberger after the game uh going in Mr. Football the suit mode it was very cute yeah and he was was doing his interview like like oh we got to get ready for our double header that he was trying yeah the degree which he was trying to make himself look like Mr. Football just kind of eventually gave off the sort of vibe of a, a a child in a Pop Warner uniform and and like the but he's got like uh, the black uh, marker under his eyes, and he 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 looks like he's trying to be much more serious than he ever possibly could be. And and yeah, Ben just looks like a the giant child in a, a Pop Warner uniform who who's who's way too serious about the game that isn't that important. Ben, yeah, that was um yeah that was a that was a fun visual. Um, yeah, he threw fifty one passes. He's so there. image conscious. It's it's. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, they were, yeah, it was really ineffective too. It's like the Ravens defense is good, but, uh, when you have three receivers like that and Eric Ebron, it's like, I don't think he's very good, but he's, he's one of those guys you have to defend just because of how big and fast he is. And it's like Roethlisberger still just, just looks terrible. So, uh, he, he has the elbow as an excuse, I guess, but he's just, just not played well at any point this year. Nope. So under six yards per attempt in each of his last two games, um, has thrown a pick in each of his last two games as well. And yeah, through, through running the end zone yesterday. So yeah, I was surprised that that game was even close to as competitive as it was. And, and I guess, you know, you could, you could kind of call the, the late Ravens touchdown, gar- like a garbage time adjacent touchdown, but still, um, you know, that, that did feel closer than, than I think most people were expecting. But of course, Steelers now, um, really in, in a good spot in that division, having beaten the Ravens twice, uh, having beaten the, the Browns earlier on. I guess that they probably finish up week 17, if I remember correctly. Um, so yeah, Pittsburgh, obviously 11 and 0, uh, really, really in a good spot as far as their playoffs are concerned we we can unpack whether uh they are akin to other highly seeded teams that might be frauds uh in a later episode but let, let's jump on in to this week's slate i want to start things out with those aforementioned browns going up against the tennessee titans the the number in this one is kind of surprising in my opinion i mean the, the browns i know are coming off that underwhelming performance um against the jaguars where they really could have lost it had the jaguars mm-hmm. converted that two-point conversion and then on the other side of this one, the Titans coming off, you know, one of their better games of the season going into Indianapolis and evening the score with the Colts after the Colts kind of uh, punked them on a Thursday night a few weeks back. But I still, and even with that being the case, and I do love the, you know, the Titans, when when they get their offense rolling um, and, and their defense is able to show up at all, it's a different team that than you know some of their other performances this year where they've really kind of underwhelmed. But when they when they play well, that their best is one of the best in the league. But still, um, I have trouble trusting the consistency uh, of the Titans doing that week in week out. So giving five and a half to the to a, a very solid Browns team, I, I think, is a bit much, even with them being at home. Yeah, I guess some of it might have to do with. Uh, some concern 
over the Browns secondary without Denzel Ward. So they were supposed to go into this year with Ward, who he had a bit of a down year last year, but we were basically expecting him to be one of the best corners in the league pretty soon. And it became apparent this year he's there now. And then he got that calf injury and he's out for the next month or something. Uh, Greedy Williams was supposed to be the other guy. He hasn't played this year. It might be something wrong with him or whatever, but that's a lot worse of a corner rotation now than anyone figured they'd have this year. Uh, I don't know what is do, do we expect Miles Garrett to be back for this? I, I guess I I don't know what the deal is with his his covid situation, but uh, it would help if he were back because that's, you know, losing Ward and Garrett is a lot at once. Losing just Ward. Get, get, probably Garrett's get, back. He's on, he's oh, on nice. the active roster as of Tuesday. OK, cool. So that's that's good for the Browns. But in any case. We're going to have A.J. Brown running against either Terrence Mitchell, I think, who he's a, you know, like little bit bigger than average as a corner, but he runs a 4.6 or something. He ran a 4.6, I should say, like seven years ago. So you don't want that guy running with A.J. Brown. You don't want Kevin Johnson on A.J. Brown because he's a little bit slower than A.J. Brown, even though A.J. Brown's probably 55 pounds heavier Oof. than he is. So there's just these guys who can't cover A.J. Brown at all. And then if you wonder what could a defense do to, to possibly protect themselves from A.J. Brown when you have the, the personnel that Cleveland does. And it's basically stuff that leaves you vulnerable to the run or at least to, you know, Johnny Smith, Corey Davis. Corey Davis can beat up these corners pretty easily. So there's just a lot of ways that Tannehill should be able to throw the ball. And as long as. And, and not to take this for granted, but as long as the Miles Garrett, Olivia Vernon, Sheldon Richardson, Ogan Joby pass rush doesn't get to Tannehill and rattle him, then he's going to just kind of have a T-ball to play with against that secondary. So that, that Cleveland defensive line specifically needs to step up and kind of carry the whole defense. And maybe they can. The, the Titans offensive line isn't so great a shape itself. It's, it's weak at tackle specifically. So there's a way for the Browns to make it happen that way and rattle Tannehill. But if they don't rattle Tannehill, it's hard to see how they can cover any yeah, of these okay. guys. I was going to say, like, are there, are the Browns going to have to go with, with a lighter box to, to kind of deal with their cornerback deficiencies and, and then kind of leave themselves vulnerable to, you know, that, Everyone knows once we get into December, and, and Derrick Henry kind of arrived earlier uh, on uh, this past Sunday, but we all know Derrick Henry late season is like the last guy you want to go up against. And if the Browns yeah. have to allocate, you know, extra resources to slowing down the, the pass, then, you know, Derrick Henry versus a light box, that, that's a wrap right there. Yeah. And uh, with, all, with all of this said, I. I think I agree with where you were leaning initially, John, where it's like that seems to be a lot of points for the Titans. And it's it's uh, I guess the way it might it might be like a close game and the, the Titans still cover if it's if it's as simple as like a, each team scores pretty much every drive kind of thing. Then the last team that scores, especially when you're talking about the big play abilities at various points in these two offenses, the last team that scores is probably scoring a touchdown. So maybe it's like, you know, they, they win by six or seven, thus covering the five and a half, even though it was down to the lo- down to the wire kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that said. Cleveland should be able to make it that kind of game. They should be able to punch back every time the Browns hit them, or sorry, every time the Titans land one on them, because this Titans defense still sucks. Like Philip Philip Rivers is bad. That's what was going on last week. Yes, uh, it's not that the Titans got good. We'll see about a Dory Jackson if he gets back. That would help a lot. He's he's not a Denzel Ward type of corner, but he's he's kind of like a eighty five percent of Ward, which is still good, still a lot better than the Titans have had this year. But I don't know what's going on with his knee. And either way, it's like Jarvis Landry, green light, Rashard Higgins, green light, 
didn't do much last week. I guess Kadaral Hodge could do something against these guys. I, I still don't think he can play, but we'll see. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, Harrison Bryant didn't he get like nicked up and he lost a fumble? He, he lo- uh, yeah. The 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 broadcast did a really good job. Like uh, Bryant, I guess, has really good like shame face. So like they <laughs> they they did a good job of just zooming in on, on him, looking really distraught on the sidelines after that. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's that's a thing the Browns do that they should not feel. Uh, safe doing in this game like a Harrison Bryant should not be getting the usage that he's getting the Harrison Bryant usage should be going to Austin Hooper uh, and I, I think they paid for it a little bit last week to no consequence of course but in this game there will be a consequence I think if you're if you're putting lesser players on the field so uh, we'll see I think the opportunity is there for Hooper uh, I think it's there for the for the Browns pass catchers like I don't think Baker Mayfield will have one of his worst games in a setting like this I, I think he should be fine because the defense is weak so they should be able to to punch back and as much as November Derrick Henry is definitely a thing and as much as it happened in a dome last week the cold still has a, a big part of why November is when it always happens and uh, in this cold setting a guy like Nick Chubb is exactly the same sort of effect as Derrick Henry with, mm-hmm. I would say, a little bit more big playability, actually. So uh, we'll see. It's 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 like Derrick Henry's going to be really tough to stop in this setting, but so will Chubb. And, and Chubb's, I think, the better player between the two. Yeah, we have actually uh, Henry and Chubb ranked 1-2 on, on our value meter for this week. So th- yeah. this is... This is RB Central. Uh, if if you don't think that RBs matter, that then don't watch this game. Not just that, but <laughs> RBs who don't catch passes when <laughs> the only good running back is James White. Yeah, and uh, uh, Miles Sanders. Correct. Yeah, and he, even he can't really catch all that well. Um, anything else to add on here before we before we move on? No. All right. Very good. Um, had to get our analytics barb in uh, real quick. Um, let's get on over to Colts Texans. Obviously, the Colts coming off of that that aforementioned game against the Titans, where where they got kind of rolled over. Um, Texans. Last time we saw them, they were lighting up the uh, you know the the hapless Detroit Lions, who have since cleaned house. But last time we <laughs> saw the Texans. They had Will Fuller. They don't have Will Fuller anymore right now because he is suspended. So what's going on here? Yeah, it's not great. Uh, I would guess – like I think Jonathan Taylor, assuming his COVID thing is okay, I, I would think this is a game he can get going in. I don't know – I guess I don't know enough to be honest about Zach Cunningham and Tyrell Adams to, to guess whether – and I don't know enough about how Houston calls its plays to know whether they're going to leave one of those linebackers on Naheem Hines. Because as the Colts showed against the first game against the Titans, if the if the team keeps rolling out a linebacker to cover Naheem Hines, they're going to motion him out and throw passes to him all game. And, you know, that's that's a good option when it's there. So I understand why they would go to Naheem Hines over Taylor if the defense is playing that way. But if they aren't playing that way, then they almost need to go to Taylor, I think. And I, I feel like, you know, admittedly, this is not the first time or even the, I don't know, fourth or fifth time probably this year that I've felt like Jonathan Taylor was in a really good setup. But mm-hmm. whatever, he's in a really good setup, something, something. Uh, <laughs> who cares? But uh, otherwise, the, the, the Colts, you know, offense at large, whatever the usage is, there should be productivity but the usage is so horizontally oriented like it's just you know Pittman had that nine target game or whatever and Hilton had a little something last week but normally they spread it out so much it's it's hard to 
you know, it's definitely hard to foresee where it's going to be. But even if you call it right where it is, it's not like a big game usually that you're talking about. It's more like, oh, I got a useful game out of the guy who's risky as hell and terrifying to play. So the matchup is good, though, and, and somebody's got to do something because the Texans are just hopeless. They don't have Roby anymore either. He got suspended, too. So their defense can't, they can't play defense. So speak, speaking of the, the horizontal orientation, I've noticed that the Trey Burton has kind of worked his way back onto the fantasy radar. Obviously, he had the big game before the bye, but back-to-back weeks now with, with touchdowns, do you, do you think that he's someone that, you know, even with Jack Doyle healthy, you know, is a, a startable tight end at this stage? Yeah, especially in a weak year for tight ends. They've shown uh, a red zone fondness of of Burton, even in the form of giving him a carry here and there at the goal line. So the goal line possibility exists, especially because they project to just be in scoring position a lot in this game. And he could do a little bit as a tight end. I think his returns have been disappointing as a pass catcher. I think he's clearly not as good as Mo Cox. But uh, Frank Reich is kind of just doing... Uh, something similar to what like Doug Peterson is doing with the Eagles where he's got no idea what to do. That's he, exactly he where know. you want to be right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> like he doesn't Doug. know what to do. He'll try anything, but he has no idea what any of it means. And uh, it's just that the difference is he has a good defensive coordinator and a good offensive line. And that is, I guess in a slightly older crap quarterback, but otherwise it's the same. <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. They, they are Spider-Man memeing each other. Um, when it comes to, uh, the the Texans on, on this matchup. I don't know if there's anyone that I, that I feel like is more uniquely qualified to talk about the the loss of the or the impact of the loss of Will Fuller. So what does it mean for Deshaun Watson first of all, and then the rest of these uh, Texans receivers? Well, I wish I knew. I don't really know what I don't know what their strategy with him gone might look like. It, it might look more or less the same as the previous offense, just with. You know, Kiki QT and maybe Isaiah Coulter could show up eventually, kind of just taking snaps that went to Will Fuller previously. They could get Jordan Akins more wide receiver snaps. That definitely would, would make sense. So they could also go to more of a two tight end offense where Akins and Fells both play more, but just kind of do more tight end looking stuff instead of trying to, to force Akins on as a slot receiver a bunch of the time. I don't know. I don't like the matchup here that much, and I, I have trouble kind of justifying that. But as much as Deshaun Watson seemed to get better after the Bill O'Brien firing, I can't believe that that's really because they changed the offense so much. And I think the structure of the offense, Bill O'Brien's offense, absolutely had a lot to do with why Deshaun Watson in the passing game would, would have these inexplicable struggles against lesser defenses mm-hmm. pretty regularly. And if that's the case then I don't feel great about him going against Matt Aberflus who has had the Texans number recently um, memorably in that one wild card game a year or two ago or whatever that was and I'm a little worried about Aberflus just kind of having their number here just being being smarter than the Texans offense and and play calling are for their own part and and if that happens then I I worry definitely (laughs) that much more because of Fuller being out of the equation like is it fair for to expect Watson to play well when the defense might more or less know what he's doing every play Uh, even if Brandon Cooks is good and even if QT the tight ends are good it's like that just is a tough thing to to get ahead of when when the defense more or less is is ahead of you so uh, I'm I'm not that psyched on Watson in this game I think he's great I just I feel like it's a a bit of a buzzsaw that he might be walking into there one last wrinkle I want to examine here is 
the Duke Johnson one because you know we we know that he's extremely talented as a pass catcher and can run you know you can split him out wide you can put him in the slot do you think that maybe we start to see that uptick in in pass catching volume uh with Will Fuller uh, removed from the equation huh is David Johnson back this week that was three weeks wasn't it so uh it might be one of those things yeah, he is designated like, to return from concussion, yeah. Like, Duke, Duke, I guess, should get some greater share of the wide receiver snaps. I just think it's unlikely that it's as much as what he stands to lose at running back with David Johnson back. Okay, all right, that, that makes sense. Um, again, uh, as of Wednesday, Texans designated Johnson to return uh, from that concussion, so opens up that 21-day window, but probably won't need all 21 of those days, but still needs to get um officially activated but okay. as as it stands yeah he, he probably will so duke, the duke johnson parade uh light, likely over so that i'm gonna have to figure out some some running back situations in different leagues of that's for, that's for another show let's get on over raiders jets raiders seven and a half point favorites on the road I, you know i was all about the Raiders after the way that they went punch for punch against the Chiefs on the, on that Sunday night, and you know obviously they, they beat the Chiefs earlier in the season, one of the, one of the best, if not the best, wins on the board across the entire NFL, and then they just lay the biggest egg you could possibly lay against the Falcons, and now I don't know what to do with them, but you also get to play against the Jets, which can kind of just smooth everything over. So what's going on here? Raiders seven and a half point favorites on the road against the Jets. I don't know what to make of the Raiders. I mean, I know I don't like them. I kind of just as a team, they're they're very annoying. I don't like their their leadership and the, the shenanigans that they pull. And you have to include last week as another example of it. That is shenanigans. You can't beat the Chiefs and then go to to face the the stupid Falcons with no Julio Jones and not only lose, but like specifically not do anything on offense. I, I guess, uh, I guess Derek Carr is no longer a coward as, uh, as established in recent weeks, yes. Derek Carr isn't a coward, but he still just, uh, is confused generally, I suppose. I don't know what, I don't know what the, the problem was last week. It's frustrating because at a, at a certain point it just becomes, it just, it just seems like there's no reason to try to, guess what's going to happen it's it's like they should just be understood as a wild card and maybe even trying to guess what's going to happen is hubris at this point i don't know but the jets are so bad and you know it's it's uh maybe it's not that they're tanking maybe adam gase trying his very best and tanking can't be distinguished maybe there's no difference at all but that's still what they're doing and so because the raiders are the opposite because mayock wants to look like a genius and, and not so much as a, as shameless fool like Gase. I don't think that they're going to go into this game with any lack of seriousness. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to be focused, even though this is like a boring, you know, dreary opponent. And it's, uh, well, well, hell, look at that. Like the Saints defense going against Kendall Hinton in Denver. It's like they, they make, you know, a third down stop against the guy who just is not a quarterback and they're still just psyched. Yeah. So uh, I think I think the Raiders in, the, in that case should just be able to kind of bully a Jets team that has no talent and uh, whatever talent it does have is undermined by by every management decision. And it's, uh, you know, if Derek Carr has a bad game here, I guess I would I would be pretty surprised, even though I've, I've not 
I have no real faith in him at this point, but I do have faith that the Jets are are just you know really that bad. Yeah, the Jet, Jets being bad, really the the biggest constant um, thus far this season. What's going on with Jacobs though? Is he busted or something? I don't get it. Well, he got he got injured right last week. He had yeah. he had an ankle, but I, I don't. I don't know He's been on the injury report his whole career, you know, and I guess like in last year's case, it eventually it just became actually serious at one point, and maybe that's maybe that's the same thing happening again. Like he just plays hurt all year and eventually gets too hurt. Um, but the production doesn't really make sense. I, I was not high on him as a prospect, and I'm still not. But uh, I thought he could be average at yeah, least. Yeah, this is this is yeah pretty like disappointing um, as far as how it's gone. Uh, you know, just the seven carries for 27 yards, like had the, like the big highlight that people will show you is him knocking off that the Falcons defenders helmet or whatever. But at the end of the day, still going for under four yards per carry against the Falcons. No bueno, even on a small sample. Yeah, they got to he's got to run better in this game because not not to totally uh, not to specifically predict that car won't be good. But he probably won't be great. He, like he's got a really bad history and weather that isn't warm, and this this is going to be under forty degrees. So I think Jacobs, if if his health is at all assured, I think he bounces back here. But I I guess if he doesn't, I'm a little concerned about what this team might might pull off here. Okay, no, that, that's definitely fair. Um, one last guy I want to want to get to uh, Henry Ruggs, another guy from Alabama who it's hard to to. Uh, make heads or tails of where he's at right now but we know he's got that blistering speed had the big play against the Falcons last week but you know still finished the day with, with just three catches for 56 yards can is this a I mean I guess I, I probably know the answer before I even ask it when, when it in, when it comes to like yes we know that Ruggs can make the the big splash play and and you know make, make it count just like he did the two two catches for 118 and a score against the Chiefs but he can also be the guy that gets like two targets catches one of them 15 yards and and there you have it well i like rugs in this game we have to see what happens with Aguilar, but he was missing practice on wednesday with an ankle thing and the the the, the thing with rugs this week and i mean if Aguilar's out there he would certainly apply this way the thing about the jets corners right now is if i remember right it's uh oh god i can't remember now what i think it's lamar jackson uh the uh is he a nebraska corner correct okay so i think it's lamar jackson it's either him or aj green and i can't remember which because i can only remember that it's one of those undrafted rookie corners who has the name of a previous player but i mix them up uh and it doesn't even really matter which one is which the bad is the thing and bryce hall is the other corner and he might be okay or something but he fell to the fifth or the sixth or whatever out of virginia didn't do any athletic testing yeah so yeah yeah, that really bad ankle injury and then that, especially since the rookies, that brings me to the question. I, I like to think through things like this as uh, what would happen if Henry Ruggs played against Virginia or Nebraska? He, like he, he would torch both of those defenses. Correct. And those defenses have guys like Lamar, uh, Lamar Jackson and Bryce Hall on them. So I feel like even if Derek Carr isn't very good, these corners are super burnable uh, for Ruggs. Okay. All right. That, that's a good framing of that one. So I, I definitely have a little bit more optimism on rugs this time around. It just, it's a, it's a matter of car delivering the ball to him. So if he gets five plus targets, then I, I think the jets end up being in trouble and rugs ends up returning value. Uh, if you start him or go after him in DFS, let's go saints, Falcons, saints, two and a half point favorites on the road going up against the Falcons that 
are the Falcons doing what they did last year when they saved Dan Quinn's job, uh, like for no apparent reason, where they just like they started out awful, and then they they did well enough down the stretch to just finish up by like completely sabotaging their, sabotaging their own draft stock. Are they on that same trajectory this time around? And and if so, are the Saints going to be worried at all? I guess the Saints have to take the game seriously, but I don't know what to make of the Falcons, I suppose. I mean, them getting better could be a combination of Raheem Morris just kind of knowing what he's doing, uh, like because he's, he's been a head coach before. He probably uh, can be a better um, better interim head, head coach than other guys who have never done it before, that kind of thing. I don't know. The, the players probably – uh, respect him somewhat and are are playing maybe a little more focused than they would have under Dan Quinn. And maybe they look better right now just because Dan Quinn is so unbelievably incompetent that just anybody else being the coach would make them better by definition. I don't really know. Uh, being in Atlanta, I guess, makes it a little more risky for the uh, Saints because I as much as um as much as I thought that Taysom Hill thing would work the first time these teams played two weeks ago. And I didn't think it would work in Denver. And then I'm also worried about it not working here. Or at least not not as bad as the Denver game in terms of passing, but not as good as the first one. Like I think you can expect him to have a, a similar usage rate and, and share percentages as the first time he played the Falcons. But a couple of those throws aren't landing. Like that Emmanuel Sanders throw isn't landing. Something probably gets intercepted. Instead of uh, 17 of 22 or whatever for 200 yards, I, I think it's more like 12 of 22 for 100 and. 70 and two interceptions or something like that uh and if that goes toward the lower end the, the you know the worst end of the projection then it starts to get actually dangerous for the saints because matt ryan i mean if especially if julio is back and i don't know what the deal is there but if, if julio is back then it's you know we we still think the falcons are a bad team but we think they can score points against a defense that isn't playing well and the saints have gotten poor play for the most part from marsha and Lattimore all year janoris jenkins has been good for the most part but he's hurt we'll we'll see if he can play uh, he's got a knee thing that wasn't practicing with Wednesday. So there's ways for it to go wrong for the Saints, and, and they it will go probably wrong for them if they fall behind because they probably can't catch up with Taysom Hill, uh, in my opinion anyway, two, not two games in a row with him. Okay. The, the only like counter I can think of that is that like, the Falcons will almost Mike Leach themselves where um, they build a lead, but they can't run the ball at all, so they just keep throwing it and, and then keep the door open that way. But but no, to your to your larger point, I, I don't trust Taysom Hill um, in a catch up scenario whatsoever. They have tape on him now too. It's not a surprise offense. No, exactly, and and, and you know they have very very recent you know history to to draw on as well. Uh, you know, having having it played uh, just two weeks ago when when Taysom Hill shook the fantasy world and everyone got all mad because he was tight end eligible and, and what have <laughs> you. What what a wonderful day that was. Um, when it comes to Alvin Kamara, I think that there there isn't a single player who's been more hurt from a fantasy perspective uh, than than he has since Taysom Hill took over at quarterback. I mean, just three targets total over the last two games and I know they weren't throwing much last week period but still uh, only one target against the Falcons that first time around the the rushing usage about the same but but not nearly as effective as it was earlier in the season showed up on the injury report as well this week with, with a bit of a foot thing so that lack of usage I mean I'm not going to say anything like are you worried about starting him this week or anything but like what what's going on here and and do you think that we start to see the Saints try to get him you know back involved in the passing game the way it was pre Taysom Hill taking over 
It's hard to tell, and I, I definitely don't feel confident in, in anything in particular, but there are a few possibilities, I think, that aren't as simple as just Hill is bad for Kamara. Like, he's been bad for Kamara. That's definitely true. But I think it's only clearly true in the first game because – I thought Taysom Hill was going to throw for like 150 yards and run for 80 and do a bunch of option tosses to, to Alvin Kamara and do a bunch of zone read stuff, things like that. And instead what they did was they pretty much ran the Drew Brees offense. And so uh, because Taysom Hill was taking carries and, and otherwise throwing passes that went to receivers, it was like Michael Thomas had the big game and Alvin Kamara got cut out. And like that was definitely just bad for Kamara. That was trash set up for him. But then against Denver, I feel like it's not so much that – Hill was bad for him as much as Denver was so harmless with Hinton at quarterback that they didn't need to use Kamara. But if they had used him, I think he absolutely could have had the big game that Latavius Murray did. And they can have that structure again here, but it will take a different approach than they had in that first game. If they're trying to run the Drew Brees offense, then I guess that's just bad for Kamara then because Kamara subsidized Hill's rushing attempts that Drew Brees never took. But if they change it from, uh, like they've been, they used Kamara in that first game, like, Devin Singletary in Buffalo almost, whereas I thought they were going to use him more like Mark Ingram in Baltimore last year. Like, like I thought Kamara would be a better version of that sort of in an offense more tailored to Hill. And I think if the Saints do that in this setting, then they've then they've switched up the tape again and the Falcons will get caught by surprise again. And I think that'll work. But I I have no particular reason to to suspect they will. It's like I I kind of, uh, you know, I assume they're going to run the Drew Brees offense again. And I'm I'm a little anxious about that uh, for Kamara and Hill both. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the yeah the longer that this goes on, I think the more exposed that that hill that the hill run uh, Saints offense w- will be. So that that's obviously not not particularly great. And this obviously being a divisional matchup, that these games can get a little bit uh, wackier than than we might uh, think just on paper. So this this game suddenly a little bit more interesting than than maybe you would have thought a few weeks back. Uh, before we get on over to our next game, we got a message from our friends over at PropSwap. Smart sports bettors always know where to find the best odds before placing a bet, and that's why smart bettors use PropSwap. You can always find the best odds on PropSwap because you're buying directly from other bettors like yourself. See a ticket you like but think the price is too high? Submit a, a bid for a price you think is fair, then buy it. PropSwap sellers are always willing to negotiate, and we know bookies never will. And for a limited time, our listeners can get up to $500 in bonus cash. Just use the promo code ROTO500. That's promo code ROTO500. And PropSwap will match your first deposit up to $500. Become a smarter sports better today. Go to PropSwap.com or download the PropSwap app. Also got a message from our friends over at BetMGM. Sports bettors know that magic happens when you turn a hunch into action and apply the right amount of expertise. That's why BetMGM has teamed up with Rotowire to offer new BetMGM customers a free six-month Rotowire subscription when they place their first bet. Register on the BetMGM app or website, and once you make your first sports wager, you'll receive a season's length of Rotowire's unmatched sports insights. Find out why BetMGM is the king of sports. Books by signing up and placing your first bet today. 
Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, Tennessee, and West Virginia only. Please gamble responsibly. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada and 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia. In Tennessee, call or text the red line. That's 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. All right, Mario, let's jump on over to our next matchup. We got the Bears going up against the Lions. Visions of that week one DeAndre Swift drop danced through my head as I as I envisioned this matchup. Whew, this one, I mean, we got we got the Lions with no Matt Patricia anymore, so that's that's good. Uh we got the Bears coming off of a tough one once again Sunday night against the the Packers. But I also thought that, you know, and we're like the OG David Montgomery doubters. That was the best he's looked probably ever in the maybe even NFL or college. Um, I think a lot of that had to do with that one big run. But <laughs> No, but, dude. He but, was the best college running back ever. You can't <laughs> take – he was so good. But no, I, I agree with you. He was never – that great at Iowa State either but he didn't uh, like, yeah, he didn't have a 40 yard run <laughs> I think his entire senior year or, or final last year that sounds it, right I yeah. mean he was always below five yards of carry so it's you kind of had to never have a big play to do that but yeah it's it's a uh, I don't know man we should we should send like a cease and desist or something to these these fantasy sports accounts on on Twitter that are like bashing david montgomery right now and probably three or two years ago they were like you you got to get this guy look at how many tackles look at it look at my broken tackle metric where he has a a a 71.9 which is the highest grade you can get and uh (laughs) look at this that's that's this many yards created like oh look really really mattered didn't it uh, but we we were the ones who who hated first, so like all that clout should be given to us, and you'll be hearing from our lawyer, my clout specific lawyer, uh, who who will be contacting the appropriate parties. Let soon those enough. who player hated first cast the first take. Yeah, or at least at least start you know with the, your pre your your later on you know address give it a little bit of a preface like oh by the way I was wrong a couple of years ago. When I said that and when I told you to take Deion Lewis over Derrick Henry, I was wrong about that, too. But this time I'm going to be right. Like that would be a, a, a way that you could start a sentence that I could respect yes. instead of just saying like, hey, listen up, guys. Uh, no, don't ask what I said before, please. But listen now. Like, I, I, I don't like that. But in any case, David Montgomery was never someone that we truly hated. Of course, we were we were just pushing back against the idea that he was this generational running back prospect or something mm-hmm. and that that wasn't to say that he couldn't do something in the nfl i thought you know if you if you give the guy reasonable expectations he might just meet them and i think people had too high of expectations and now they're they're confusing their own shame and embarrassment for like fault on montgomery's part it's like no don't you don't need to bash the guy he's fine and you know last week those fine and in this game he could go pretty good in this one i mean i don't know how hard these players are going to play for I don't, who is the Lions interim? I don't know. Is uh, it Daryl Bevel? Ooh, I wouldn't play for that guy. So maybe they'll quit and uh, you know give Montgomery more of a, a Kansas kind of defense to run against for for a, a nice you know revisit of his glory days at Iowa State. There we go. 
Uh, yeah, that would that would be nice. I'm looking at at uh, Montgomery's last year at, at Iowa State, only nine runs over over 20 yards on 257 attempts against Big 12 defenses. So there were signs that that the explosiveness wasn't there. Some people just didn't listen. Um, when it comes to to the Lions uh, side of of this one, though, I mean, we could have some significant reinforcements on the way in the form of DeAndre Swift, who, who had a limited practice on Wednesday. Um, obviously, it did not help his case playing last week when you know he was still dealing with the, in, with the short week, having it be, the game be on Thursday. I don't know if he still would have been out on Sunday, but that didn't help. Uh, Kenny Galladay still questionable with, with that hip. Uh, not not quite sure if, if he'll be ready yet, but I, I do feel somewhat confident that, that the Lions will at least have Swift back in the mix here. That would be helpful. He's good. But I look at the, you know, the, the Bears defense, it hasn't exactly dominated this year. It it might have been a good, a legitimately strong defense, though, if they didn't have such a bad offense. Yeah. Putting them in such difficult situations. And so with the Bears perhaps playing well on offense in this game, if only for kind of lack of hope, lack of personnel, talent, whatever, on the Detroit side, then I think the Bears' defense maybe gets a little better if that happens, and if especially if Galladay's still out, then that's a tough task for Stafford because it's it's just uh, I don't know it's like he's he's had a rough enough year, and, and Galladay even if he's in the game would still not be enough to give the Lions like a clear advantage in the offense versus defense matchup consideration. So. I'm a little creeped out about the Lions. I mean, if it would be weird to me if they all of a sudden galvanized to to work for Daryl Bavell, who's been there, largely encouraging some of the bad decisions that Patricia has made anyway. And if he's such a valued uh, colleague of Patricia's, how cool can he really be? So I don't know. I'm reading into it, of course, quite quite uh, aggressively, but. Good. From from the outside, I, I, I just feel like the Lions are, are kind of like a little bit of a quit worry. And even if they tried their hardest, I just I just don't know if they have enough to work with. Yeah, I, I don't either. And and that's crazy to say when you also still, at the end of the day, have a matchup where it's Matt Stafford versus Mitchell Trubisky and you, and you like the Trubisky side of it, you know? Yeah, if if Montgomery can run, then I think Trubisky can look fine against these corn. Well, hell, I guess it was uh, other than that six touchdown game against the Buccaneers, he only had his good games against Matt Patricia. Uh, how how funny would it be if if he has his worst game yet? Uh, but I, I think he'll have a good one just because it it seems like a low pressure setting, basically. Yeah, I, th- I think so too. I think that yeah, the Lions obviously have a lot of deficiencies across the board. Um, one thing I, you know, one of the big takeaways from, from last week, I think there is, you know, a really high volume of, of pass attempts coming from the bears, not obviously high volume, low quality, but still that led to Allen Robinson getting his, his first multi-touchdown game of the season. So this, this has to, you'd think as long as the weather permits and, and they, they continue on with that philosophy of going, um, to the air a fair bit that Robinson, not that you w- were worried about starting him one way or the other, but you know there have been some disappointing weeks in here, especially in standard formats. Um, I think that th- this could be a spot where he not, maybe not necessarily builds on um, last week's game, but but puts up similar produ- pro- production, you know, challenges for 20 fantasy points. Yeah, it's uh, one of those things you can't take anything for granted with Trubisky and you don't want to chase touchdowns. But with Robinson, I, th- I think it's a projection of usage and, you know, combining 
his own abilities relative to the the defense that he's going against, I think you can project a, a pretty high baseline, one of his higher baselines of the year. So uh, he doesn't really need the, he's not touchdown dependent at all in this setting. So I don't I don't I don't I wouldn't feel like it's like chasing points to kind of uh, get your hopes up for for something to build on last week. Okay, all right, that that definitely adds up. So looking good for for Robinson once again. Um, anything else to add on, uh, maybe with these, let's say, let's say Galladay doesn't play again. Um, anything to see as far as these lions pass catchers go? Well, the usage would set up well for Marvin Jones and he gets in the slot a good amount. So he could get away from Fuller and Jalen Johnson a little bit, run against Buster screen, which is where you want to run. So, uh, you can feel good about the matchup that way. You can feel good about the usage and matchup for TJ Hawkinson. Cause again, he's not going against those two corners. You just don't want to go against those two corners. You're, you're in play if you don't. And, uh, it's all the more the case if, if Galladay is out, but I don't like the setting and I don't like the tone of the circumstances. It just, it doesn't feel to me like a, a great Matt Stafford day kind of context, but to the extent that he does produce, it seems like Hawkinson and, and Jones are pretty well situated. Okay. To, to borrow your, your terminology, like it, it'll be reliably channeled through through those guys so um, yeah it might be nothing but it seems like it's got to go that way however much it is there we go all right let's go on over to what what could be a mm, i was gonna say aesthetically a very unpleasing game but i I don't know what what the jags will pull out of their of their (laughs) uniform bag but jags vikings is a very like disorienting game to me because you know only yeah. played once every four years um that this could have been the ngakwe revenge game but he's off to the other purple team in the league so we don't even get that um the jaguars sticking with with glenn on uh back there and that you know they obviously gave the the browns a bit of a fight last week fell short ultimately which is good for jags fans because that that helps their draft position of course but um seeing them be competitive i think maybe a little bit encouraging as well going up against a vikings team that can beat some teams and can definitely lose to almost anybody so what are we looking for here maybe they'll tie and we can call it ngakwe's revenge (laughs) uh, now we're talking yeah uh can become like an eerie tradition every time they play uh i think um the Vikings are rightfully, you know, favored in this game. I really don't know how I feel about certainly ten and a half, but even the nine and a half opening line feels like a lot to me because I don't think you need to believe Mike Glennon is better than bad to keep the game closer than that. Especially, I don't know what's going to happen with DJ Chark. Maybe he doesn't play, but if Chark is out there and if Labisca Chenault's out there, Keelan Cole's out there. Those Vikings corners can't cover those guys, especially Chark. Like they really cannot cover him at all. And I don't think Glennon's any good, but you know, I gotta give him a little credit. He had that line where he's like, "Look, man, I'm Mike Glennon. I am going to let it rip in this game." I love like, that. I love self awareness. He, he didn't say I'm Mike Glennon, but he's like, "Look, I don't get to play very much. I might not get to play again, so uh, I am going out." exploding i'm yeah Um, i'm I'm a giraffe and i'm gonna huck that ball baby yeah so i hope i hope he keeps that spirit because if he does then i love the jags to cover or i guess as long as chark is out there uh because yeah there's i mean we got guys like todd bauman from back in the day throwing to randy moss if you that certain kind of backup quarterback who knows that he sucks and knows what he needs to do to to put himself in, in the position to perhaps benefit from good luck 
he he knows it's like you throw it to the shark guy, the huge fast guy who's bigger than everyone. Dude, why not start there? And against these corners who are basically like Cam Dantzler, he's he's got the 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 frame and the height and the reach to match with Chark, but Chark can probably beat him by ten yards in the forty yard dash. Uh, you got Gladney who can run a little bit with Chark, but only probably about twenty yards, thirty yards, much shorter. Mm-hmm. Can't can't cut can't box him out over the middle at all. Uh, what what is the other one? Um, Holton Hill, no, not Holton Hill. Uh, Chris Boyd. It's like he's an athlete, but he's too like five ten, five eleven. They cannot run with Chark at all. So if he's out there, I, I don't think the Vikings cover this. But the Vikings, for their part, will probably you know move the ball, score at relative will on offense. The question is whether the Jags' offense can capitalize against what is the worst Vikings defense in probably like ten years. Yeah, th- this game suddenly you know kind of. The way the way that we've been talking about it, um, I kind of have some DFS intrigue on this one. I mean, we we have an over under um, as high as fifty two and a half on on the um, DraftKings uh, sports book, so that you know that's one of the higher totals um, on the board of this entire week. The the Titans Browns game is also up there. The the Colts Texans also up there as well. But not a lot of other games uh, north of fifty. So there, there's a lot of bad on both of these defenses. And there's enough good on both of these offenses to yeah I think I think that this is this game I think we'll we'll have uh, some serious uh, volume in my DFS lineups this week. Um, how do you think James Robinson looks in this one? We know, we know the usage is golden, of course, but um, do the Vikings have any spine up the middle as far as the the run defense is concerned? Yeah. So while this is the worst Vikings defense in probably ten years or something like that. Eric Kendricks is still Eric Kendricks, and Eric Kendricks is insanely good. So it's it's kind of counterintuitive, or it might seem a little weird to think of it this way. But Eric Kendricks is so good that I think it almost hurts the Vikings because the it's kind of like that that overtold uh, Belichick story about how we want Thurman Thomas to run for 120 yards or whatever it is because then we win. You almost have that sort of thing going on here with the Vikings because it's like if James Robinson is running the ball for four yards at a time, it's like, granted, uh, you don't want to let him get too many first downs. You don't want that volume to get too high because it means that your defense is on the field the whole time. But you do want to dare the the Jaguars into making this game James Robinson versus Eric Kendricks because Eric Kendricks wins. And that's not anything wrong with James Robinson. It's just Eric Kendricks doesn't really lose to anybody. Sure. So if they reduce the, – the more they make the game that matchup, the more it benefits the Vikings. And so – uh, I think he might be an insane bad guy or whatever, but Jay Gruden I think is a pretty good coach. Like he's he's an insightful coach, and I think he'll look at this Vikings defense and say, "Oh well, yeah, I would much rather make this game DJ Chark versus Jeff Gladney than I would James Robinson versus Kendricks." So if Kendricks really does lock down James Robinson, and if he does, it would be both on the ground and through the air because he tends to cover the flats and he's just the best at it, yep. then it'll be a funnel away from Robinson and a pretty big one because he's been the foundation of that offense, especially last week he was. So if you just take that player from the offense and remove it and the candidates to replace that player include DJ Chark running against corners like these, then I really like the upside there. Okay. All right. That's a, that's a good summation of you know how the Jaguars might approach this one. Um, on the Vikings side, um, we know that the Jags have had, you know, not not a ton of success at, uh, in against the pass for much of this year. So, assuming big green lights for for the usual cast of characters when it comes to Thielen and, and Justin Jefferson. 
Yeah, Thielen and Jefferson, both golden in this game. For DFS purposes, if Thielen's back, I'll probably go with Thielen just because I feel like Jeff Jefferson is becoming like a mega chalk meme uh, for understandable reasons. But it's like the, people are losing the context and think like, oh, my God, people are going to start talking about him like he's Randy Moss or something. And it's like he's he's clearly really good. But we've also got some, uh, you know, it's like I, I feel I feel like it's it's like it's kind of like a guy just with a really high batting uh, batting average on balls in play in baseball kind of thing where it's like, yeah, the guy is good and he's, he's, he's ripping the ball right now. It's just, he's absolutely on fire, but we can't expect him to be the best player of all time. So it's going to slow down eventually. And I feel like people do not consider that a possibility with Jefferson. They're just like, he's going to score two touchdowns a game forever. I think. Yep. Stonks, stonks go up as they say. Um, let's get on over. And, and I think, uh, Dalvin cook should be good in, in this. one. Yeah. Injury. RB one probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wait, no, the the ones that don't catch passes, Henry Henry and Chubb are one too, but Cook <laughs> Cook Cook right there, um, of course, as well. So should be fine for from that small uh injury scare last week. Um let's go Dolphins Bengals. Dolphins eleven and a half point favorites in this one. I think the Dolphins are still uh trying to remain mum as to who's going to get the start for them at, at quarterback. Obviously uh Tua Tunga Vailoa dealing with that thumb injury right now, so it was Fitz last week. Um what's going on here going up against uh the, the Bengals would which obviously have no Joe Burrow anymore. Right. Didn't somebody report that Tunga Vailoa is out for a couple weeks with a thumb? Is he now? I, well, that was like right after. That was like a few days ago. So I don't know. Maybe maybe it was Rappaport, and maybe he's retracted it already. Okay. The, uh, the latest we have is that he's he's a game time call according to to Flores, but that might just be coach speak, and they they might just be giving everything to to Fitzpatrick. Yeah, I mean the Bengals defense isn't exactly frightening, but they have just enough pass rushers, and the the Dolphins offensive line is so bad. So I can imagine they might look at it as like, wouldn't we take the win and the scenario of Tua not possibly getting hurt over the one where maybe we win and he's subject to further risk. I don't know. I I feel like they win easily with Fitzpatrick. So I, I would assume they'll go that way, but I don't know. Like, I guess Devante Parker, he's really good. And he's one of those receivers who can make plays, even if he's covered, which is good to know because he'll probably see, a decent amount of William Jackson who doesn't get much attention these days, but he's one of the league's better corners, I think. And he's, he's one of those bigger, uh, faster corners. So he can match up with a guy like Parker pretty well, but you know, Parker lit up Stefan Gilmore last year when Gilmore was still good. So you don't really worry about matchups as long as the volume is there. Uh, the volume though, I don't know how much there needs to be. I I don't know who the Dolphins are going to use at running back exactly, but, uh, I guess if Salvin Ahmed is available, I guess he can run a little bit against this defense. Uh, that 11 and a half still feels really high though. And I, I don't know what combination of, of Dolphins players could get the ball and produce the yardage and points necessary to get there. Uh, I guess if they, if someone wants to predict that the Dolphins score on defense or get something ridiculous, like four or five turnovers, I can see why they would want to go that way. I mean, the Brandon Allen is terrible. He still might be better than Ryan Finley. So it's like, I know people looked at Allen last week and thought it can't get worse than this. I bet it can, and uh, you know maybe it does in this game. Maybe Allen does so poorly they put Finley out, and Finley just reminds everyone why they started Allen in the first place. Uh, but I don't really see enough reliability in the Dolphins' offense to guess where it'll be. It's like it, Parker, if anybody, I suppose, but 
he's had so many of these games this year where he just catches like, you know, six passes for 75 yards on eight targets and he's playing really well and he's being very efficient, but it's just not getting the the shootout type scenarios like last year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, part of that just being that um, the Dolphins. Good defense. Are, yeah, the Dolphins actually aren't uh, terrible anymore. Um, when it comes to the Bengals' pass catchers, what do we expect? You know, with the Brandon Allen effect certainly bit Tyler Boyd the most last week. Are we worried yeah. that that continues again? A little bit because the Dolphins have been. I mean, Byron Jones and Xavier Howard, from what I've seen, are always playing outside. Uh, and yet they haven't been giving up much through the middle of the field to the slot receivers the last two weeks. So I think Brian Flores has been tinkering with the coverages and I'm guessing it's Eric Rowe, the safety who's been playing some slot coverage. I think I'm guessing he has a lot to do with it, probably doing Rover stuff. So I don't know if there's an obvious opening for Boyd in the slot, even though he would avoid Byron Jones and, uh, sorry, the, the other, uh, Xavier Howard. And, uh, so even though, T Higgins and I guess AJ green, but who cares? Uh, T Higgins does get the tougher corners, but the past couple of weeks that hasn't really mattered. Like nope. Jamison Crowder had much less usage than Brashad Perriman and Denzel Mims last week. So uh, if Eric Rowe is kind of changing the slot coverage a little bit for the dolphins, then Allen might still go to Higgins in this game instead of Boyd. I mean, Higgins caught everything last week, you know, it was only 44 yards, but five targets, um, caught that touchdown of course too so higgins continues to, to yeah higgins strong. is awesome i i mean i really think he's i don't know how he does it exactly but I, it's quickly becoming apparent to me that he's not even that far from guys like dk metcalf and aj brown in my opinion like they're clearly better i consider them the first and second best receiver in the league in mm-hmm. some order but i really think t higgins is closer to the top five than people realize Man, that strong statement, um, but but definitely one where if you if you take a closer look, uh, both at his college production and the measurables, and, and um, I know he didn't have the, the combine workout, but um, things are things are obviously going extremely well for him. What what like a very smooth transition for for both him uh, and Justin Jefferson, uh, both been just totally awesome among these rookie receivers and. Neither of them were the, were the first three off the board, so pretty pretty wild stuff. And no fault to C.D. Lamb, of course. You know, losing Dak Prescott uh, certainly isn't going to help your production whatsoever. But again, crazy class keeps keeps getting deeper. That the cast just con- continues to turn out more and more guys that that are showing out. Um, you know, Michael Pittman, I feel like is one of those later got latest guys that that is starting to to come on strong. But but Higgins, yeah, just by virtue of playing for this Bengals team, probably doesn't get. Um, the, the notoriety that, that he's been deserving um, over these last few weeks. Let's go on over to the Giants going up against the Seahawks. The Seahawks, 10-point favorites. The Seahawks just – I can't trust them with points. Like, I, I think that they're a team that, that could win the Super Bowl, but they could just as easily like bow out in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, especially if they have injuries at corner. I know they've been getting away with it the past couple of weeks with Trey Flowers out there, but – you know, not that it's this week that it'll matter, but you can't keep doing that. It will matter eventually. So either Dunbar comes off the IR soon and plays well, or they're going to get in shootouts that they they can still win, of course, but it, it's it's going to be a more perilous proposition than than what they've been seeing in the regular season, and certainly in a game like this where. Uh, do we even know is Daniel Jones going to play, or is it going to be uh, Colt McCoy? Um, 
I kind of, I mean, that looked not great on, on Sunday when it came to Jones and, and his hamstring. Didn't practice Wednesday, so I mean, there's still time for him to to get to get ready for this one. But my guess is it's McCoy right now. Ugh, that sucks. I wish they were going with Joe Webb. That would have been more entertaining. Yes, I think that's. I don't know, man. It's guys like McCoy are about as weird of cases as it gets. Like specifically trying to guess what a guy like McCoy will do in a situation like this. It's just so. It's just so hard to to. There's no there's no guide. There's no decided guide on how to approach uh, former Heisman type winner guys who start four years in the NFL and are below average, disappear for like seven years and then come back into a starting role for a team like the Giants in a game like this against a team like the Seahawks. It doesn't seem like it can go especially well, but I don't know, McCoy. He he knows what it's like to be a winning football player. You know, it's 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 not that it's an alien position to him. It's like the question is, can he actually uh, play the part? And with the bad corners, Trey Flowers out there, uh, a guy like Sterling Shepard can probably actually make Trey Flowers just tip over in coverage. Like he can just get him to cross his feet and fall over trying to swing his hips and changing direction on a route. And if Sterling Shepard's running open over the middle of the field, I don't particularly feel worried about McCoy missing that throw, you know? So uh, if that throws there, if Darius Slayton is running against Trey Flowers and, and he gets a couple feet open on a post route, I, I think McCoy could probably hit that, especially if he's coming off the play action, something like that. So having just Shaq Griffin at corner leaves the, the Seahawks corners. Uh, it leaves like half of the, the Seattle defense vulnerable to pretty much any NFL quality quarterback receiver receiver combo, in my opinion. And I happen to think Slayton and Shepard are both very good. So it's weird. I'm, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I'm going to make a Colt McCoy uh, millionaire maker lineup, but I'm, I am thinking about it now and I really didn't expect to be here hmm. um, ever. Uh, so yeah, so <laughs> Uh, it's weird, but uh, the Giants have some firepower. The question is, like, you know, if for for the spread purposes, uh, ten points seems like a lot to me, especially if the over under is dropping from forty eight to forty six and a half. Like the, the the whole all the lines on this game look wacky to me, and it it's uh, it creates like a a general you know disorientation that it makes me curious but also afraid and and then like the the smart part of my brain is telling me to stay away but i never listen to it much like the acid dagger that we talked about at the at the beginning of the show um yes <laughs> don't forget about that <laughs> so that that's what the the giant seahawks game is looking like right now um on the seahawks side of things the giants have you know some cornerback talent i, I think at a, at a certain point, yeah. it just doesn't matter against a guy like DK well, Metcalf. This is going to be quite a uh, matchup, though. I mean, Jalen Ramsey was the bigger one, I suppose. But Bradbury versus Metcalf is almost more interesting because uh, Jalen Ramsey winning that wasn't exactly surprising. I, I don't think anyway because DK Metcalf is this guy who is changing even now. And part of that change is him kind of turning from a wide-eyed, uh, kind of meek rookie to this guy who's who's like turning into a borderline villain this year. Yeah, you, you, like can getting see, in f- you can see the confidence he's playing with is just out of this world. I mean that that big like jumping catch along the sideline where he I think he like kind of just like hugged it in with one hand, just like this dude. Well, he's like getting in fights and stuff yeah. too that he wouldn't last year. No. So it's like you can you can see him changing and part of that is like the old miss is coming you, out. The first time you see Jalen Ramsey, it's like Jalen Ramsey's gonna be, you know, more in your face than you are him. Like you just can't 
guys like Jalen Ramsey are peerless for a reason, and you can't imitate. No one can imitate it for you in practice. No one can prepare you for it until you just see it yourself. So I think he just kind of got like hit in the jaw that game, wasn't quite ready for it, couldn't quite believe someone could still do that to him. But going against Ramsey will make him better prepared for Bradbury. It's a little bit different. Like Ramsey's just a freak athlete. Bradbury isn't really, but he's big and he's athletic enough that when he plays with good corner technique, the speed advantage that Metcalf has won't necessarily matter because it's like being six one, having having long reach. It's like those are things that make it less important for Bradbury to specifically match stride because it's like he can he can cover ground without specifically like being right on the spot. So it'll be interesting to watch the the physicality showdown between them. It's like Ramsey's the the whole package. Like he's physical too, and he but he's he's a freak athlete. Whereas like this will just be kind of like. I think, you know, a bunch of wind up punches from, from two, you know, big fighters and, and the, neither of them moves around a whole lot because they're just too big to get away from the other one. A couple of Jake Pauls fighting it out. No Nate Robinson's here. <laughs> uh, don't, don't tell me about that. I don't want to learn about it. I don't. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's, it's Twitter, okay. Twitter just rubbed it in our eyes this week. Um, so I guess, I guess the, the other question being, you know, Tyra Lockett coming off of the quiet game against Philadelphia with just three grabs for 23 on, on four targets. Um, I, I don't, I've, I've always been a little bit suspect of like the, it's either Lockett week or Metcalf week, blah, blah, blah. But do you think this is a week where with Metcalf drawing the, the tougher matchup that, that maybe Russell Wilson fixates a little bit more on Lockett this time? Well, the answer could be both. It could be neither, but that doesn't happen very often. So it's it's one of those things where either Metcalf beats Bradbury, he just gets the better of Bradbury, and poses that kind of just dominator risk like he did against Darius Slay last week, uh, or Bradbury has some sort of effect. Like he, he creates a little bit of a funnel away. Like maybe he doesn't specifically shut down Metcalf. Like maybe Metcalf catches six of eight targets but maybe instead of it going for 150 yards and a touchdown or two maybe it goes for 75 yards and no touchdowns something like that and that's what Bradbury can do and if he does then either Wilson throws for less yardage one of the tight ends or David Moore or Freddie Swain gets more yardage or Tyler Lockett gets more yardage and that seems like the most likely of those to me by quite a bit so particularly with the corner in question, like he's going to see a lot of, I would guess, Darnay Holmes, that UCLA fourth rounder. Mm-hmm. He can't run with a guy like Lockett. It's, he's not for covering guys like Lockett. That's just not what he does. So they're going to get, they're going to need to give him help, but they might not think, I don't know, like maybe, maybe the Giants can kind of get the better of both of them by if Bradbury can win one on one and they can afford to give a lot of safety help to the to the slot corner or whoever's on Lockett. But if they don't give that help, then Lockett's torching them. Yes. So definitely pay attention to that one. And then uh, last thing to touch on. But before we move to the next game, um, what do you make of the backfield options on on either side of this one? How, How do they project in this matchup? I think Chris Carson looks really good because I I think you can believe that Metcalf still has a good game against Bradbury and still think that Bradbury creates a bit of a funnel effect away. And I would consider Lockett more or less the, the number one candidate to get that. But Carson is far from the third as, as the second option, I think. And that, that could show up both in pass catching, which would make plenty of sense because, you know, it's uh, – 
let's say Tyler Lockett is running against Darnay Holmes, but Jabril Peppers is basically keying on him, and James Bradbury has Metcalf locked up outside, and uh, maybe even maybe even Leonard Williams is kind of getting a little wild and hits Russell Wilson <laughs> a couple times. It's like they're going to want to look in that case at what they can do with Chris Carson running against Blake Martinez or whatever linebacker. So like Carson has done a good job for his whole NFL career as a pass catcher. It doesn't, he's not really branded as that, but he can play that role and that role might be uh, something that they look toward, especially in this game. Yeah, no, absolutely. He's, he's definitely better than, than people give him credit for as far as the, the pass catching um, is concerned. We, we obviously saw that that week one against the, the Falcons, but we've seen other time, plenty of other times um, as well. Um, I won't make you talk about Wayne Gallman, so let's go ahead and yeah. <laughs> let's go cards. Yeah, that is the one time I hate running. I'm 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 Ben Baldwin when I have to watch Wayne Gallman. <laughs> like I I just I can't do this. Um, all right, Rams cards. Rams two and a half point uh, favorites on the road against the Cardinals. I guess the Cardinals are kind of like this big asterisk after after last week as far as like we we just don't. Th- think that that kyler murray is is at 100 percent right now and you know you the cardinals are i mean you, you can say this about basically any team but you know when it comes to the cardinals like they are so much worse if he's less than 100 percent. so i i don't yeah. know how this really goes uh when, when it comes to this matchup and this is a, this is a big one obviously the nfc west is such a jumble at the top yeah and the rams losing last week to division team that they probably expected to win there's no way that Sean McVay overlooks this game, and I think that means that it is a Cardinals loss, almost no questions asked, because I just don't think Cliff Kingsbury knows what he's doing, and maybe he'll learn eventually, but I don't think he can keep pace with, with like the best thinkers in the NFL, uh, the Belichicks, the McVeighs, the Shanahans. I don't think he has much of a consistent shot against them. Like I know he... Uh, like Kyler Murray can can make miraculous plays, but that is specifically what it entails, at the least, for the Cardinals to win against good teams. It's it's a uh, it's it looks worse for Kingsbury, I think, when you don't so much just look at the production of the Cardinals, look at their record, look at some of the teams that they've beaten. I don't think that gives the fair picture because you have to remember, you have to account for in so many of those cases. The reasons that they were in a competitive position in the first place, and the reason that they would win in the end is because of Kyler Murray bailing out Cliff Kingsbury with his running ability. Like if 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 Kyler Murray isn't running the way he has this year, which is to say no worse than second best ever behind Lamar Jackson last year, then all of a sudden we're having instead of these, you know, brilliant disorienting running plays of Kyler Murray's, we're instead having maybe incomplete passes, sacks, interceptions, eventually punts. And their record just goes down the drain when it happens. So I think last week was kind of a combination of what happens when we see Kingsbury go against a coach who's better than him and what he what happens when Kyler Murray can't cover up the fact. And both of those are the exact same dynamic here, I think. All right. And, you know, last week I'm looking at, at Murray's numbers a little bit more closely this time around. I mean, he, he drops back 34 times, but for just 170 yards – I mean, was were there any downfield attempts? I, I didn't catch much of this game, like in terms of like actually watching it. But uh, you know, following along, of course. But like, did they even ask Kyler Murray to throw the ball down the field at all, or did they really just keep him limited with that shoulder? Well, everyone was underneath. I guess it's not 
obvious as to whether that was just because of the shoulder or if it was like the plays were developing that way. I personally wouldn't be surprised if Belichick just kind of forced that because as much as Belichick normally would go with a lot of man coverage, I absolutely think Belichick could look at a lot of Arizona tape going back to last year and pretty much know the playbook and know where guys are going to be and coaches defense that way. So maybe the going underneath was at least partially informed by Belichick knowing that, uh, each each look from Kingsbury is designed to create this play over here or that play over here and sat on those, leaving basically a check down offense in its place. Uh, I don't know. It's I also haven't had a chance to look at with uh, what they were doing with Isabella exactly. My suspicion is they were using him a lot in the slot, which I thought slash hoped they wouldn't do because he's not an underneath player and they're they're just not using him in any way that makes sense. It's not worth anybody's time to use him as an underneath receiver. They should have him playing outside and running downfield to kind of create these corner route opportunities, to create these out route opportunities for Christian Kirk in the slot because Kirk is awesome underneath. That's mm-hmm. where he was before the Cardinals kind of just forced him into this downfield outside role to accommodate Larry Fitzgerald in the slot. Before that, Kirk was just kind of like the – the PPR machine at Texas A&M, including as a true freshman when he arrived to a loaded offense in the first place. So uh, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a way for Cliff to make it better, but I, I, I just think Cliff is one of those guys who, you know, maybe he improves, but if he doesn't, he is just below average in the meantime. And I, I don't think you can be below average against McVay in a game where McVay has more to lose than you and has the better team anyway. Whew. Okay. All right. That, that sums it up pretty well uh, when it comes to this one. Um, although, can we briefly touch on uh, the, these Rams pass catchers? Uh, you know, obviously, the Rams can kind of make it work against anybody. But is there anyone that, that's particularly vulnerable in the card secondary that it sets up well for um, on the Rams side? Well, the most vulnerable are Kirkpatrick and Byron Murphy, but. McVeigh changes the game to something other than what the matchups are. Kind of like Kyle Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan and McVeigh both do that. Where uh, you can you can talk all day about who the outside corner is, who lines up on Robert Woods' side, who he's going to face before the snap. He might not be facing anybody by the time the snap happens. Like Robert Woods could be in the backfield running some goofy flats route that turns into a wheel route and. Cooper Cup could have been one of like three slot receivers on the play and you don't know where he's lined up. Maybe it's the nickel corner. Maybe it's a safety. Maybe it's a linebacker. There's all these things that McVeigh can bring into it that neither like, like the defense doesn't expect. And, you know, it, maybe even McVeigh is surprised to see some of the matchups that he gets when he does some of these things because you just see these plays with Woods where it's like why is like Danny Trevathan covering him or something? You know, it's like how does this keep happening? Uh, where where we know it's going to Woods on these plays, and and Woods is is just not being covered by anybody. Uh, that kind of stuff happens, and in an up tempo setting like this, it could happen a lot of times. Like Robert Woods and Cooper Cup could both catch ten passes in this game. Uh, it's just a question of how much Arizona can force the issue. And I'm I'm not getting my hopes up. I think I'm feeling more like the under in this game, to be honest, because I I'm worried about the Cardinals coming out totally flat. I could, yeah, I could see that too. I'm definitely concerned about this Cardinals offense after last week's game, and until we see Kyler Murray being back to Kyler, and you know we, we're not going to get the warning sign necessarily that that he is back to, uh, you know his his pre-injury self. 
yeah, it's it's just hard to trust the, this Cardinals offense. And then the Rams defense, for its own part, is extremely good. I mean, we just talked about Jalen Ramsey a few minutes ago, but there, there's a lot of other stuff going on in that defense that makes him really tough to contend with. Um, so I, I, I like that call on the under here, just under 48 and a half. Maybe – Maybe I won't go with the under if it's at 48 and a half, but uh, it, just because I, I can imagine this being like 31 to 20 kind of thing. Oh, okay. All right. I see what you're saying. Um, let's go eager, <laughs> eagers, um, Eagles, Packers. Um, Ooh, at least it's um, not on national TV. Yeah, the Eagles should be illegal. I'm yes. so sick of watching. Like, I like Doug Peterson. I empathize with his position, but the man is spent. Like, he he just can't do this anymore and it's no one's being fooled he's not fooling himself it's just a painful affair all around going to lambo won't be fun i imagine they'll they'll kind of like they'll have one of those moments like let's play hard for coach like maybe they'll remember like hey doug's a pretty decent guy we we like him we just hate the losing that we've been doing but remember when doug was you know a nice guy like let's play hard for him but even if you have that kind of game having it in Lambo is, isn't like the nice way to send off that coach, you know, cause it's, it, you're just, you're, you galvanizing in Lambo field is just a way of like wasting your, your time because it's it, the Packers are too good this year and everything that the Packers do well, the ways that they win are things that the Eagles are not suited to stopping. So I, I think Darius Slake can play Devonte Adams better than he played DK Metcalf, but that's not he might still be recovering mentally from that one (laughs) i don't know yeah i mean i didn't think he had a shot against metcalf because he's he's not even that much of a burning athlete and he certainly isn't you know big so Devontae adams isn't that great of an athlete he's not big so i can imagine slay running pretty well with him but i could imagine marquez valdez scantling having a big game here those other corners are small and slow Uh, or avante maddox is fast but he's he's so small at like 5'9 180 it's like Marquez Valdez Scantling is about as fast, maybe a little faster, and he is uh, seven inches taller and probably like forty pounds heavier, thirty pounds heavier. So I think Valdez Scantling has a big advantage there. Equinemia St. Brown, he can he's, looking, he's looking good, man. You kept the faith on him. I, I jumped ship, but he looked all right th- these past couple weeks. Yeah, they kind of they were kind of using him in some of those looks that Tyler Irvin of all people would get, and I think that's that kind of precipitated that Taven Austin signing. Um, but I, the way I feel like Equinemius could be good is if he gets like some of those Marquez Valdez Scantling routes, which eh, you know Valdez Scantling is fast and speed is useful in itself. So I can understand why they give him the snaps, but. Uh, in any case, both of Valdez Scantling and Equinemius St. Brown and Alan Lazard. Like Lazard could be running against Nikhil Roby Coleman quite a bit. Nikhil Roby Coleman's a good slot corner, but he's 5'7", 170 or something. So, I mean, almost a foot difference. Yeah, so like these big receivers all have huge advantages, even if Devontae Adams isn't going that day. Uh, Tanyan can probably get open against these linebackers. So I expect Rodgers to have plenty of options. Uh, even if Devonte Adams has something of a disappointing game, like I would, I, I think the Packers just crush them. Yeah, I mean the the Eagles can do it to themselves too, better than anybody. I mean, I I've I don't know if I've ever seen a quarterback just Wentz plays it like it's the the last play of the game every single down. So that so eschewing any sort of cost benefit analysis and just like trying to just instead of trying to like survive to the next down, it's like this is it 
or the game's over and he just runs himself into sacks looking really spazzy or you know forces himself into a terrible throw almost always while getting hit I mean I think I saw a graphic where like the only other times in NFL history that a quarterback has been hit this much at this point of the season both of them were David Carr you don't want to be on a list with David Carr when it comes to getting hit so and the one guy who had a chance at matching David Carr's record uh, had his entire knee torn off (laughs) which guy was that sorry not off Joe Burrow oh yes (laughs) yeah yeah that was good god um but yeah with Wentz it's like it's just like traumatic at this point It, it seems like he's suffering when he plays and it's why it's painful to watch, man. It is not fun to watch. It feels like something's wrong, like something something bad is happening. And it's like, what? Why would we watch this? Like these these this, someone should stop this. This is unethical or something. Uh, that's what it feels like constantly. And um, I don't know. Maybe maybe Wentz kind of like finds some of like he's a tough guy and he's he's not lacking in courage or anything like that. He's just totally rattled out of his mind. And maybe he can focus a little bit in this setting. Like maybe he. Maybe he really does galvanize for some reason that no one could think of. That just seems a little unlikely to me. And uh, this defense isn't great or anything, but he like he can be the Seahawks defense. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess to be fair, like the Seahawks pass rush has come alive lately. Uh, but that's that's something that the Packers bring a risk of too. It's like Zadaria Smith's having a big year. Preston Smith's been a little better lately. They they can rush the passer. Kenny Clark can hurt you. So I think there's enough ways for it to go wrong with Wentz in his current condition that it just probably will. Like I don't I don't know how many how many circumstances there even theoretically are at this point that don't result in Wentz just falling apart almost immediately. Yep. So with that, it's it's really tough to trust. Uh, you know the the other the cast of characters on this Eagles offense like I, I trust Goddard the most out of the pass catchers and I, I still yeah. I still think Sanders sets up pretty nicely here against the Packers um but yeah he should he should bounce back like I don't think he's as good as a lot of people said but it's uh he's been doing so badly lately that it feels safe to say you know he's he's due for a little better luck soon <laughs> Yeah, I, I would think so too. And, and the Packers have have had some letdowns against opposing rushers before, so it wouldn't shock me if, if Sanders starts to to get back in gear here. But um, the receiver rotation, where you know, we, you knew that, that Travis Fulgham wasn't going to be like the guy forever, and and uh, you know that that's true. But he still doesn't deserve to be getting a, a giant snap reduction. Where I think he played his oh, lowest brutal. snap share since the since the 49ers game, just to accommodate for this husk of Alshon Jeffrey. It just not just that it's it's but the, but that is insane. Everything that you just talked about is insane, and it's specifically that. Uh, I mean, I felt like I felt the suspicion earlier, but when I saw the snap split for those receivers, those Eagles receivers from that game, that was when whatever last sliver of hope I had for Doug Peterson went away for good. Like it's not coming back. That was just completely insane. Like it's the it's kind of truly insane because you can't even come up with a theoretical reason. You can't say, well, ostensibly, this is what we were going for. There is no pattern of any kind it's just random it's just haywire as as like put in practice this is just something malfunctioning and it's it's just wild because you know if if Fulgham isn't the kind of guy that you'll try to build around when you know he's the one bright light on the team for six weeks in a row or something like that and you put him away 
to any like you, you're struggling as an offense and you can't tell the difference at that point than from between the guy who had just carried your team for a month or so and the guy who hasn't played in a year and was bad the last two years that he played and if you think about it the only reason he's played at any of these points is because you gave him a contract that you shouldn't have and like these are these are the things that are informing peterson's actions like no way he's what i mean is he's not looking at anything he is just randomly uh flailing about and to, to lower not just fulgham snaps but to lower jalen rager snaps to get hightower back on the field like hightower was there the whole time why did you have only greg ward jalen rager and travis fulgham play every receiver snap last week if you're going to have hightower and rager split snaps this week when hightower was there the last time like you can tell he's making decisions without literally thinking about it and i i don't know why he's not thinking about it maybe he's bored maybe he's out of energy but he stopped trying you know who led the Eagles in receiver snaps last week? Greg Ward. Greg Ward. Yeah, yeah, it's brutal. One catch on three targets. Do you know what that for two years now? That guy has been giving them a per target, uh, in effect production of something like three yards a carry. Like if you take his catch rate multiplied by his per target rate, it's something like three yards. And they've been founding the offense on him. like last year is excusable because they were out of bodies but like this year they're not like this year they they, they have fulgham they have jalen rager and they're just not giving it a chance and they're forcing like just awful personnel onto the field so man if if you're an eagles fan like you're definitely happy the 2017 happened but i don't know what this window looks like right now things got to change they got to fire him. It's, they just have to. Yeah. Doug needs to get unplugged and then plugged back in. Um, yeah. Like it, I would feel so much better about the chances of a Doug Peterson change of scenery and reboot scenario than certainly someone like Mike McCarthy or oh, something yeah. like that. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. That, that's the perfect comp to, to make there. So, yeah, it's just whatever it is. Just burn it down in Philly. It's it's not working. Uh, let, let's see what what we can do elsewhere. Um, let's go on over to the Chargers playing host to the Patriots. Um, I feel like this is a this is a setup that the Chargers will not welcome. I mean, the Chargers didn't play well last week, and there are some pretty like memeable coaching moments from from that game in Buffalo. Um, I don't think it gets better this time around with, with Belichick uh, coming to town. Uh, obviously, that the, the Chargers aren't aren't having to fly east for this one or anything like that, but still, I think if there's a defense that, that can kind of rattle that this Chargers offense, it, it might be the Patriots uh, at least schematically, maybe not personnel wise to to the full extent. But uh, if I'm a Chargers fan here, I'm kind of expecting another loss. But if I'm a Chargers fan, I'm kind of rooting for another loss to to kind of lock in one of the better non quarterback picks in this upcoming draft. Yeah, I hear you. I think I like the Chargers a little bit more, though, okay. because I don't know what the Patriots can actually do. It's it's uh, with, you know, be it a combined culpability between Cam and the receivers or just Cam or just the receivers. I think we've seen enough at this point to know that this is generally not a sufficient sum of parts to, to be competitive consistently in the NFL from week to week. Uh, they at the very least need kind of like a bad defense to go against to to play well in that passing game. And the Chargers aren't. The Chargers corner personnel is actually very well suited to covering receivers like the Patriots have. And I can imagine another big time disaster game from Cam Newton. And if I imagine that, then 
I think the Tyrod Chargers could win this game, let alone the Herbert ones. So I think there is a way for it to go badly for Herbert, certainly. He uh, he, he would struggle more, I think, if, if uh, the Patriots run more zone coverage. Like, the more that they can successfully disguise their coverages, that's the more they can beat Herbert. But if they use too much man coverage, I think Herbert can figure it out, especially if, you, if you're doing things like motioning Eckler out of the backfield out wide. You, as a defense, if you're in man coverage, you have to run the safety or the corner or the linebacker, whoever it is that has him. They have to follow him out to the splitting out. And if no one follows him, then then Herbert knows there's some combination of zone. Like at least this linebacker here is in his own coverage. Like maybe the whole defense isn't, but I know this guy is now. And he can start to figure out where the man coverage is and when it isn't there. And if you do go in man coverage against these receivers, against a quarterback like Justin Herbert, then you are the one who has a problem because – Keenan Allen, you know, maybe maybe he goes against Stephon Gilmore. Maybe J.C. Jackson is on him. Maybe they follow him into the slot so he can't get away from them. Fine, let's assume that's the case. And let's assume that Keenan Allen loses, which isn't a given at all. But if he does, then we, in this case, have Mike Williams outside running against, uh, at best, one of Stephon Gilmore or J.C. Jackson. Maybe it is one of them. But he's a lot bigger than either of them. And if you're leaving a one-on-one with Mike Williams on anyone in particular, he's still in play in that play. And if you've secured this outcome of like stopping Keenan Allen and somehow containing Mike Williams, you still have Hunter Henry to deal with. He's no slouch. And the big thing is, and that we haven't seen until last week in this this Chargers offense, Austin Eckler absolutely changes the whole game. Mm. Like you can't. I know they didn't win last week. And I know Herbert didn't play especially well, but I still think it could have gone a lot worse if it weren't for Eckler out there. And, you know, you if you try to put Jawan Bentley on Eckler in coverage, that could be a touchdown. Like that could he can he can score from long range running receiver routes. And if you have JC Jackson or Stephon Gilmore on Keenan Allen, and if you got the other one on Mike Williams and Austin Eckler is running against kind of like your third best guy. That's that's a way for it to go really wrong. And if all of these guys are in man coverage and if, if Herbert doesn't like any of them looking open enough, the fact that all of your guys are turning to run with these receivers means that Herbert can turn can take the ball and run himself now. So if they're playing man coverage, I, I think it could go very wrong for them. But if they do a lot of uh, disguised coverages and zone coverages, maybe Herbert gets confused. But if Herbert doesn't get confused, I think he can kind of light them up. OK. All right. Well, uh, I feel worse about my initial thesis then, but um, he could get rocked though if if Belichick comes up with confusing looks. Like Herbert, Herbert doesn't know that much. The thing is, it's just like he he's so good at working with what he does see in front of him, and if it's simple, it's like you you just lost. Like you you need to confuse him. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then on the on the Patriots side, I mean, it, it's been such a mess trying to figure figure them out. Anything fantasy wise to to. Um, you know, kind of. I mean, I guess if anybody, it. Damian Harris, but I don't like the script for him. I I, I hate I hate the whole uh, Patriots offense, pretty much. Yep, it's gross, very very gross. Um, all right, let's get on over. We got some night games here uh, as we hit the the last part of the pod. Broncos Chiefs th- Sunday nighter. Chiefs. Not much of a game, in my opinion. <laughs> I think I think Vegas the Chiefs agrees. win this one. Yeah, two touchdown favorites. For, uh, the Chiefs are Broncos. Well, we know what happened last week. It was fun to watch for like the first quarter for the novelty, and then it was like, please never show me that any other footage from this game. Um, yeah, that sucked. Yeah, I 
So is the situation that, that they'll be back as far as the, the quarterback situation goes? Uh, yeah, I guess I guess either Drew Locke will play or his mom is going to <laughs> just uh, take, hack the whatever Fox broadcast feed or something and, and issue an ulti- some sort of uh, ultimatum to the public and government. I don't know. Uh, I think that it doesn't really matter what, what happens with the Broncos side. Like, I, I don't think they're going to be able to do much. Uh, even in garbage time terms, I don't know how much they'll be able to do. So, I, I don't know. Like, there could be some kind of just meaningless stuff, some meaningless occurrences, and maybe there's some numbers that are useful for fantasy football in there, but I, I just don't know looking at it where any of it would happen like it's just it, it feels meaningless and random whatever does happen on the chief side well like we, we pretty clearly have two outcomes that defenses can choose it's like defenses can sit with two safeties high to account for tyree kill and to a lesser extent some of the other speed in the chief's offense but of course primarily tyree kill or they can try to go into more of like a man coverage thing and and try to keep mahomes from beating them underneath which is what he does when you go to high safety. He just throws it to Kelsey. Yep. Uh, somebody else here and there underneath is getting open because the safety help isn't there. Uh, so if you pull the safe, if you pull one of those safeties down a little bit and give the other guy a single high, even if they're sitting on Tyreek Hill, it happens so fast. It just they can't get there with one guy. So I think Fangio will do two high safeties. I think he might have some ideas about how to disguise it here and there. I doubt Mahomes will fall for much of it. Uh, and if he doesn't fall for it, then it should eventually just be kind of like the Denver defense collapses under the exhaustion and stress of just dealing with that kind of speed and talent that the that the Chiefs have on offense. Um, so I, I don't know. I guess it's like either Tyreek Hill has another big game or Travis Kelsey has a big game. And maybe one of the running backs, Edward Hilaire or Lavian Bell, I guess both could. I mean, I, I, Denver is toothless. Like, they can't hurt the Chiefs. So if Andy Reid wants to go with a wishbone offense, this would be the week to do it. But it, it feels like there's going to be that first, second quarter passing production from Mahomes. And I, I guess it's, you know, not not to be a, you know, give a cop out, but it's got to be Tyreek or Kelsey. And the question of wit, the answer of like which one is just subject to the coverage that Fangio chooses to go with. And I think it'll be more too high. So I guess I like a Kelsey game here. Okay. All right. That, that definitely tracks. And, you know, I, I think that, if, you know, you're watching the film of, of last week's game and, and the way that Tyreek Hill went for 200 yards in the first quarter, maybe the way that, that Hill is playing right now, you, you choose, uh, you know, door number two, where you see if, if it's just Travis Kelsey, who lets and you die do a slow, slower man. death. Like I like Todd Bowles, but that going press man with Carlton da- or any corner really, it's like Carlton Davis is really good actually. Yeah, just doing a disservice do to his corners. Yeah, it's like he can't he can't win that. Um, so yeah, I, I, Vic Fangio will not make mistakes like that, but he also has less to work with. Right, exactly. So yeah, the t- tough scene potentially here for the Broncos on Sunday night. Let's move on. Football team versus the Steelers. We obviously just saw the Steelers play on Wednesday, so they got a, a weird short week. The the football team. Glad we can start talking about these guys again. Oh right, yeah, the best. Um, and then the football team, you know, they've on the kind of on the polar opposite end. You know, that we last saw them on Thanksgiving, absolutely tearing down Jerry World, basically, and the Antonio Gibson coming out party officially on. Um, so th- this matchup. 
I mean, the Steelers, I, I do trust that they'll take care of business, but I mean, the, the football team has, has some gumption, some moxie and some talent. So, I mean, they're not going to be pushovers here. Yeah, I do worry about their offensive line, which is basically like CFL quality going against this, the Steelers. No who, Bud Dupree anymore, though. They don't have Bud Dupree, but they still have Stefan Tuitt. I really worry about him and Cam Hayward just yeah, they can folding blow up the, the offensive line like a long chair. Mm. And uh, I assume like flattening Alex Smith after that, too. But, you know, TJ Watt is still out there. I actually think that guy from uh, Charlotte that they drafted could be a pretty good replacement for Dupree, so we'll see. Uh, but yeah, I think you know they're they're going to dominate. The question is, can this can the Washington team still find some way to get a little bit of an edge? And I think they could. Like, I definitely like them to cover this ten points. Uh, so opening at eleven, it's already dropped to ten. I would take the I would take Washington up to probably like I don't know seven points. Maybe even maybe even less than that because I don't think Ben Roethlisberger can get much going here. Like the slot might be open because, which is to say, like it might be a Juju Smith-Schuster or Chase Claypool. They've they've moved into the slot occasionally in certain games, but outside you've got Kendall Fuller and Ronald Darby, and neither of those guys is dominant, especially Darby. But in the way the scheme works, and especially when you factor in the pass rush, they kind of they have a thing almost like Stephen Hill and uh, or Stephen Hill, uh, Stephen. Um, I, don't, I don't remember the guys. Stephen Nelson, sorry. Uh, the, the Oregon State corner and then Joe Hayden. It's like neither of them can play great man-to-man coverage, especially Hayden at this point. But they're very good at playing cornerback for the Steelers because it's just a slightly different task. And Fuller is actually good, so he can be a problem for the receiver on the left side. And Darby isn't getting torched or anything. Um, so, so yeah, Fuller, Fuller against Deontay Johnson, I think it might be for the most part. And I, I would give Fuller the advantage. I, I'm a Deontay Johnson hater or whatever, but Fuller's good. And I think he's specifically good at the things that Deontay Johnson normally has an advantage in. So I, I don't see it. So Claypool and Juju, I definitely like a lot more in that. And they, they, they should have – whoever's in the slot, I should be clear. They're running against Jimmy Moreland, and he might be okay or something, but he's, he's much less effective than Fuller and Darby. So the slot has a funnel and an opportunity at the same time. So Juju looks good. Eric Ebron probably has another good game. Um, but I think that pass rush could surprise Ben. And if he, if he gets into a pattern in this game, like he has quite a few times this year of just dropping back – and throwing a crap pass at Deontay Johnson and he's covered and you know you it's incomplete this time but one out of every three times he makes a miraculous juggling catch with the guy d- draped all over him and it looks really cool and you know it, it's not going to work the next time but you forget about that because you have no attention span and you think wow what a great what a great receiver uh, if they start doing that too much that's how they can that's basically getting cute like they they got to stop throwing like 13 passes for to Deontay Johnson for 45 yards isn't that much better than 15 targets to JD McKissick, you know? Yeah. Like, that's just stuff that you're doing when your offense has broken. So um, I, I guess my my question is and it, and it comes off of that, 
are they stuck in that mode right now? Because it's, I think the Steelers are being very intent. Either the Steelers or Roethlisberger are being very intentional with getting the ball out as as quick as humanly possible. I think his, his it's a average, dependency. Yeah, I mean, it was like two point two seconds coming into yesterday's game per per drop back to time of release, and it was like two point one seconds yesterday. So like he's he's just like going and just getting rid of it as soon as possible, and I think with that like it's empty calories of course and i think that deontay johnson can you know for the most part have a better catch rate than than he did yesterday but efficiency wise it should be should be better than 3.5 of course like it was yesterday as well but i i see where maybe that that is an intentional thing of the steelers offense where like they just they have no interest in having ben subject himself to being the ben of previous times where he was so big and strong to where like opposing defenses opposing pass rushes could get to him in theory but he would shake them off and and make the play down the field that doesn't maybe they're not confident that he can do that anymore and that's why they they reverted it to this weird dump off thing well yeah because nothing good happens with Roethlisberger after the third step in a play anymore like the if the play is still going it's like really he can scramble a little bit and he's still tough to bring down or whatever but but what is he gonna uncork a 60 yard pass is that what's going on here it's not so the the options left are are things like he throws it against his body to the other side of the field and it gets intercepted or he uh takes a little too long waiting for someone to get open and he gets you know strip sacked things like that so they want him to get rid of it really fast and he can't throw in the middle of the field because he can't create the velocity to get it through tight windows that he used to. And so he needs to throw it to Ebron so much because Ebron's a bigger target to offset the, you know, the, the lack of separation you can, you can work against by creating a bigger target. And that's why Ebron's getting all this usage. And then Deontay gets all these checkdowns because he gets the single coverage and because Roethlisberger's throwing to comfortable throwing to him when he's covered in single coverage. Cause Deontay Johnson does make some good plays, but it's like, they're so over dependent on it that it takes Deontay uh, Johnson from this guy who is a good, otherwise good, otherwise, uh, you know, timely, occasionally explosive player and you exhaust the premise to the point that it all stops working because it's it's just dried up, you know. Um, so they, they got to get back to a point where Deontay Johnson's usage is appropriate for his abilities. And right now they're putting way too much usage on him and they never pay for it because the defense is so good. And because Roethlisberger, to his credit, is still smart and he still knows how to, you know, make the, these these, uh, you know, last second plays that are that are by a razor thin margin he still makes those plays because he, he knows that he's he's working with one hand behind his back. But who has who who has lasted like the you know the test of time with one hand behind their back? I, I don't I don't think even in a sixteen game season that he's going to come out completely unscathed. And you know by the time the playoffs happen, it's like forget it. Pat Mahomes is going to torch you, people. Yeah, so that that's kind of where it's trending. But uh, I guess for the Steelers' part, they. They haven't lost yet, so if if they end yeah. up being the and team I, that has the bye, that's huge. But I I think that they they have some pretty fatal flaws, and I think it starts with Roethlisberger. They might they probably win this game, but I do not think they have much of a good shot at covering ten. And I think they need to be worried about losing it. Yes, they they got to come out uh, and play well. Um, they they will certainly bring up the point that they did have to play on Wednesday. So, um, the that will be a big thing ben might ben might have to get a little bit of a rib injury in this one <laughs> get him wrapped up um all right let's go 
Bills, Niners, the the nightcap of, of the Monday doubleheader. I do like the Monday doubleheaders overall, I will say. Um, all right, so we got Bills, Niners, uh, Niners, one and a half point home underdogs against the Bills. Bills got it done last week against the Chargers. Now they got to go all the way across the country for th- for this one. And this one's being played in Arizona, if, if I'm correct, because um, right. the, the Niners can't play at their home stadium right now. So just another weird setup here. What, what else is new? Um, but how does this one set up uh, in your mind? It's tough because the 49ers defense is, of course, pretty good, and they're, they're pretty well coached. They got some players. They just got Sherman back at corner, so that might matter. That I don't know. I thought they were getting good play already from Mosley and Verrett, so I'm kind of skeptical that they'll get a boost, but their depth is definitely better there. Sure. So there's certain things that the 49ers are just good at, and I shouldn't assume that Josh Allen is safe going against it, but I don't know why. I, I kind of just feel like this is – this is sort of like a battle of wits between Brian Dable, the Buffalo offensive coordinator and Robert Saleh, the 49ers defensive coordinator. And in a high pressure setting like this, I, th- I think you start to see those subtle distinguish distinctions between coaches. Like they, they start to, they start to, I don't know what you would call it exactly. Like they start to stack up against each other and, and the distinction matters more when the pressure brings them closer together, like a more direct, you know, one-to-one kind of this versus that sort of question. And mm-hmm. when the question is reduced to that, I defer to the Dable side because I just think he's the better coach. And I don't think Josh Allen's a great quarterback or anything, but I feel like the sort of ways that the, the 49ers play defense invites some of the settings where where Allen can thrive, where he can kind of rise to certain these types of occasions, I feel like he can rise to specifically because I feel like the the 49ers are always going to be aggressive and you can be aggressive successfully against Allen, but you can also set him up to to really pummel you in a couple ways. And if if they get if they get blitzing so aggressively that they leave Sherman in single coverage against Stefan Diggs, I think that could go poorly for them. I I think it's kind of like Herbert and the Patriots. It's like when you're going against Allen, you're better off trying to disguise your coverages and confuse him than you are trying to make it any sort of race or physical contest with him. It's like you want to make him think more than he just plays because if if you reduce it to, you know, this guy tackling him in the open field, that suits Allen. Like he's he's most dangerous when he's kind of in the wild like that. The way you beat him – is making him think because he, he's not as much a thinking quarterback as he is a acting one, you know. But if you if you make the game for him as simple as Stefan Diggs is one on one with Richard Sherman right now, and I know these guys over here are blitzing, then I then I think Allen can understand that much, and I think Diggs will get open, and I I think Allen will generally make that throw because he knows what he's doing on that play. I, th- I feel like he has his worst outcomes when he has to specifically figure out a lot of things because he tends to jumble it at some point and do something boneheaded but when he knows where to go it's a lot tougher to stop him and if he knows where to go like he, he can put it anywhere so I, I like his chances of rising to the occasion here even though it's definitely a little bit dangerous of a setting um because i just i just think at all the choke points the bills have the advantages like sherman versus Diggs, Diggs wins and mosley and verrett are both good so i don't i don't feel that great about gabe davis or cole beasley but if the Diggs and Allen connection is working, then I think that's enough for them to win because I, I don't think the 49ers offense gets a whole lot going. I mean, I know Shanahan is great 
and he just managed to put together a winning effort against the the Rams, even though he barely had a team to work with. But uh, I just think McDermott's a really good defensive coach, and when you're when you're going against coaches as good as Dable, I, I think you need a team better than Shanahan has right now. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. I still like, can't believe that the, that the Niners were able to to get the win in LA when LA you know needed a win the way it did yeah. a week ago. Um, but yeah. Do, doing that twice in a row especially with the kind of upheaval that the Niners have been dealing with this week where you know it's a home game but it's not really uh the Bills are, are pretty good although that you know they did lose a game in that building earlier this year I'm just kidding um I don't know I I, I do kind of side with just like over the course of 60 minutes I think that the overall deficiencies on the Niners uh you know uh starting 22 uh will kind of get borne out and um i think the bills will be able to take advantage there so even though uh we got a skinny spread and it's on the road i like the bills chances of winning outright and, and covering um just a just one point there so definitely on the bill side there let's finish up cowboys ravens classic tuesday night matchup love them <laughs> Um, the Ravens obviously played a game yesterday that I don't know if there's a whole lot to extrapolate from as far as the offensive production. Like, I don't even know if that was a signal to Hollywood Brown waking up. I think it was just kind of a weird play. Uh, and, you know, the Steelers probably tailoring their defense one way against a guy, a guy in Trace McSorley who I don't think had thrown an NFL pass prior to that. Maybe he threw one against the Steelers in Week 17 last year. But uh, weirdness nonetheless. I think the expectation is that Lamar Jackson's back for this one. Um, and, and obviously the, the running backs, Dobbins and Ingram, probably should be back as well. The Ravens missing some key pieces elsewhere for non-COVID-related issues, of course. Ronnie Stanley being out, Nick Boyle, all that stuff. But the Cowboys famously are without a ton of people as well. So how do we see this one shaking out? Well, if Lamar's in, then I think the Ravens win pretty easily. I know Dallas has some pieces here or there, but I, I just don't think that they can throw the ball. And if the Ravens can match up man-to-man and, and bring in a safety for run help, then I don't think this version of the Dallas offense can spring Ezekiel Elliott for a whole lot. So uh, the defense, meanwhile, if even in this down year for the Ravens, if, if Lamar Jackson is out there, then I just I think they win. I, I just think the, the running game will step up if it needs to. And if it doesn't, then Lamar gets going as a passer a little bit more just because um, I, I was pretty confident the whole time that Marquise Brown would bounce back. It, this, this whole thing with him this year never once raised the possibility in my mind that he's just like a bust or bad or something like that. I thought it was pretty clearly a case of a team just going haywire. And as long as that's the case, the results don't mean much to me. It's like they're they're frustrating, and you know I'm lamenting that that they are what they are. But I don't the take less wild version of like what's going on with the Eagles or something. Yeah, it's like I'm not trying to take conclusions away about the players individually. It's like the system fell apart. The the individuals don't mean much now. So Marquise Brown doing what he did in that game was always something. Uh, you know, yesterday was always something that was within the range of possibility because this is a guy who even now has mostly had good games, you know, like in his NFL career, uh, we're all pissed off and, you know, we're bitter about how he's been so visibly bad this year, but he has still mostly had a good NFL career. And if you go into his college days, he has for the most part had an utterly dominant football career more broadly. So what he did during a stretch where the Ravens were hurt and, you know, falling apart in several respects 
just doesn't mean that much. He was always going to revert to his mean. And, and last week, or, you know, that game yesterday was kind of just one instance of how that number is going to equalize coming forward. But, you know, it would be nice if, if that was a moment where he could kind of shake the yips because I absolutely think the yips are part of it. Like yep. part, part of what's, what's made the, the Ravens struggle lately is the fact that they're freaking out so much about how bad they are yeah. <laughs> and they're just not playing the way that they did normally. It's like the way that they played normally wouldn't have been enough given the other s- circumstantial, you know, problems that they were having. But with the with specific result that we've been getting lately is both the the system falling apart and them falling apart as individual players. And, you know, the system can sink and the players can sometimes get their footing within that collapse. And maybe Brown can do that. Uh, and that would be nice because he's definitely talented. It's like, you know, yeah. he's not going to reach these high expectations we had in the preseason, but he is not a bum. He's a good player. That's true. All that all that is true. Um, yeah, it's been a, a very weird year from him. I, I obviously... Uh, have a ton of shares of him. I'm sure you you have some shares as well. Can you feel confident starting him right now? I mean, I wouldn't say confident is the word, but absolutely justified. Definitely, like it's if if you want to, if you feel like playing Marquise Brown, or if you just have to put him in your lineup, it's it's not something that I'm actually being concerned about. I'm, I'd worry about the weather or something else. Mm, okay, all right, that checks out. Um, anything else to add on for this game? Uh, no, the Cowboys are really bad. So I guess this could be a Dobbins game if his, if his condition cooperates, but if he's out or something and Ingram is out, then whoever's getting the carries is doing something in my opinion. If, at least if Lamar is out there, if Lamar is out there, somebody is running and maybe it's Lamar, but somebody is. Yeah. I I think that the timeline, uh, lines up to where Lamar Jackson should be out there, but obviously that will be a storyline to monitor um, throughout the weekend. But that's going to do it for us here on the Thursday edition of the Rotowire NFL podcast, brought to you by PropSwap and BetMGM. Make sure you check out Friday's show. Andrew Laird, Scott Jenstad breaking down the DFS slates for this weekend. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening.